Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We are uh, back in our study for a brief time before we hit all of the, the Christmas break stuff. Later today, I believe you have small group time. You can talk about Christmas caroling and all those fun things that are coming up. The title of our lesson tonight, uh, which is, or today, is from Ephesians 4. It is How to Live for Jesus. And we're just going to keep it nice and simple this morning. If you are a Christian, if you have repented and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you ask yourself when you wake up in the morning, what should I do and how should I do it? We make that all too complicated, don't we? Well, Ephesians 4 makes things very simple, makes things very clear for us. First of all, we see Paul's instructions are authorized by the Lord. Paul's instructions are authorized by the Lord. In the book of Ephesians, we have studied the first three chapters that talks about our position in Christ. And then in chapter 4, it transitions to our practice in Christ. What should we be doing? And we've already seen in Ephesians 1.1, who wrote the book, Paul why should they listen to Paul? Well, he's an apostle. That meant he is a chosen one who has seen the risen Lord and has been sent to them, Ephesians 1.1, by the will of God. And he is writing to these saints at the church at Ephesus, these saints who he has shared the gospel with, who he has loved, who he has shepherded and equipped. We go on to read about in chapter 4 how Paul is a, what, a prisoner of the Lord for their behalf and for their sake. Why should they listen to Paul? Why should we listen to Paul? Verse 17 says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord. Paul saying it is enough. An apostle sent by Jesus Christ, a faithful man, a gifted man, who has had direct revelation from God the Father, and he is writing it to his beloved saints at Ephesus, but it's not just Paul saying it, it is also the Lord saying it. The word affirm means to bear witness and to urge something as a matter of great importance. If you're playing a video game and your sibling walks in and says, hey, you need to get off, what's your first reaction? Well, no, I'm in, I'm in the middle of this level or I'm in the middle of this match. Well, no, I'm not going to get off. Well, mom says get off. Well, that holds a little bit different weight, doesn't it? You ignored the messenger, but the one that has sent the messenger, you won't ignore. So Paul has come. He's saying this, and that's enough to listen to him, but he's saying, I am saying this. I am bearing witness with the Father, and I am urging you in something that is important, a matter that is of great importance. So today, this morning, I don't know how much you slept last night, I don't know what your attitude is. I don't know if you came willingly or if mom or dad dragged you here and just pulled up to the side, opened up the door and kicked you out and said, see you later, kid. But I hope that your heart is eager and it is in tune to worship the Lord and to learn from him. Because Paul is teaching us, as Paul is doing this, the Lord is teaching us. And if we will simply put into practice the things that are in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, we will be oh better off in this life we will secondly see and we're not going to cover all this right now but we'll get to it paul's instructions how not to live how not to live this is a a pastor tom move right 
you, you learn the negative, which reinforces the positive. So we will look at verses 17 through 19. Read that with me. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, had given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. We already see some some really strong words there, right? Futility, darkened, excluded, ignorance, callous. This is how we are to not walk because that was us before we came to know the Lord. And then thirdly, we will look at how to live. Paul's instructions how to live. Verse 20 says, but you, that contrast right there, you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self and you're like, whoa, I'm having, I'm having flashbacks to 2020 when we did the Colossians 3 and the put off and the put on and those lessons that I that I had to send out by video because of the COVID stuff and things and uh, you're thinking of Bible quizzing and the process for biblical change yeah Colossians and Ephesians are kind of sisters sister books and they they contain a lot of the same information so here we have it verse 21 if indeed you have heard and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Verse 23, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24, and you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. There's a lot of content here. But to summarize it simply, we know that Paul has the authority as a messenger and a servant of God to instruct us how we should no longer live our life and how we should live our life today. Let's go back to Paul's instructions how not to live. And we're going to ask ourselves the question, who are you not to live like? Who are you not to live like? It says that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk. And we don't have to go through all of this because we've been talking about it for a long time. But you have the Jews... And then you have everybody else. The Jews were God's chosen people. That doesn't mean that every single one of them was saved. That meant that they were handed the oracles, the commandments of God, and loved and preserved and protected. The Gentiles represent everybody who is opposed to God. Now, can Gentiles become believers? Absolutely. There are lots of Gentiles. Naaman the leper, Rahab the harlot, on and on and on. Gentiles who saw their sin, repented, and placed their faith in Yahweh, the one true God, and His promised Messiah. Most of us, if not all of us, are in that Gentile category. We are not Jewish. But when he says Gentiles here, it's representative of unbelievers. And so we all used to live like this. We all used to act like this. Some of you, or if you're not a Christian, you still live like this, You still act like this. You just don't know it. 
no longer walking just as the Gentiles also walk. And that, that word walk is a continual pattern of behavior, life pursuits, and ideology. How do they walk? Well, simply put, in the futility of their mind. That's how they walk. The mind is their, their values and their thought process, uh, who they are and how they think and why they do stuff. The word futility means state of being without use or value. You, you think of uh, cotton candy, right? Cotton candy has no nutritional value. It is without use. Well, except when it comes to tastiness. It has value towards tastiness, but towards nutritional value, it has nothing. The way they think, the way they walk, they are wrapped up and they are consumed in meaninglessness. And so how they do and what they do and why they do makes no sense because they are walking in the futility of their mind. I mean, let's just be honest here, right? God clearly created the heavens and the earth. God has written on our heart that truth and we have taken that truth and we have suppressed it. He has given us the mountains and the seas and the, the stars and the sun and all of these things to point to him. And what does man do? Ah, you know, no, I, I think that there was like nothing out there. there I mean, there's not like nothing. And then what a bing, what a boom, bang. And then everything came into existence. Really? And that still happens? Well, no, 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 it doesn't happen anymore. But it just, it just happened that one time because like some infinity stones or something like that. Right? Isn't that what it is? Well, okay, okay. The stuff that just boom came, how did that get there? Well, I don't, I don't know that. Isn't that so illogical? Isn't that so foolish? But that's what the world believes and lives by. I mean, God, us being accountable to God, we, we reinvent him and, and we make him to our own liking. But why? Because the unbeliever continues to walk in the futility of their mind. Do you know better than God? No. But we certainly act like that. We certainly act like that. Well, what does that practically look like living in the futility of their mind. You see, Paul is conveniently going to give us three participles. And if you have not paid attention to English because it's been Thanksgiving break and you have deleted all of the data that you have learned this year, a participle is simply a word formed from a verb and is used as an adjective. And that's what makes things so confusing is we don't know sometimes if something is a verb or a participle or an infinitive. But I'm telling you here, these are participles. So it's a verb, but it is being used as an adjective, all right? So that's important for us. The participles here are being darkened, excluded, and having become callous. So that's how Paul has organized his thoughts. And these three participles are describing something. What are they describing? And this is important here, because when you say... That you no longer walk just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Being darkened, it kind of makes you think that being darkened is describing what? Their mind. Their mind is being darkened. Or having become callous. Is it their mind that has become callous? 
Well, when we look a little bit closer and we read carefully, we see that there are some helpful words here that teach us what these participles are modifying. It's the unbeliever. It's the Gentile. All right? So don't walk like the Gentiles because they are darkened in their understanding. They are excluded because of the hardness of their heart. And they having become callous. So all of these are modifying the Gentiles. And that's what it looks like to walk like them. Let's look a little bit closely at each one of these participles and the content that it contains. The first way we can describe the way they walk would be ignorant. Ignorant. Now, it's not nice to call people ignorant, right? Well, not if they're ignorant. Um, But the way that you do it with kind and graciousness, or here, Paul does with firmness so he gets his point across. Look, the unbeliever is ignorant. You, Christian, are no longer ignorant. They are being darkened in their understanding. The word understanding is the, the faculty of thinking, the faculty of reasoning. I mean, why does the unbeliever do what they do? Why do they think like they think? Why does the world think that, that alcohol and drugs is going to bring happiness and joy and solve your problems? Why does the world think that sex outside of marriage is going to please and satisfy? Why in the world would anyone think abortion is a good thing? It doesn't make sense. Why do dudes dress up like women and and women sleep with women? All sorts of weird, yucky, gross stuff. They're not thinking right because they can't think right. They can't do it. Their understanding is darkened and it's going to continually be darkened. They're living in a dark world and they can't see their way out, but they are sure going to try. And they're going to act like they know better than you. And we go to the Word and we can expose the lies and we can point to God's truth, but they don't want to hear it. They are darkened in their understanding. They are ignorant to the things of the Lord. 1 John 5.20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Right? Our faculty of reasoning and thinking has been changed, has been altered because God gave it to us. We are no longer being darkened. We are being taught. We are being enlightened. Why? So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Even in the garden, what did Satan first try to do? He said, did God say you, you can't do something? And Eve says, well, no, no, no. He, he, start, oh, he starts to, to, to twist and to distort and to corrupt. Well, this world, the unbeliever, is already twisted. They're already distorted. They're already darkened. But the true God can set you free, can set them free. Unbeliever, you are still believing a lie that you can save yourself. You are still serving the God of self, and it will not end well with you. But believer, we know the truth. We know the reality. We know that Jesus is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. The unbeliever is ignorant. The unbeliever is also self-destructive. 
It's also self-destructive. It goes on to say that they are excluded from the life of God. And that sounds harsh to us, right? You have to invite everybody to your, to your birthday party. Or you have to, to sneak around in the darkness. Because if one person doesn't get invited, oh, you're so mean and cruel. You don't have to really do that, by the way. I was being sarcastic if you didn't pick that up. These people, God has life. They ain't getting it. They are excluded from that life. But why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. Ignorance here means a lack of information because of the hardness of their heart. Is it that God has not made this information available to them? No, God has made it abundantly clear what it takes to be saved, to get that life. Repent and believe in Jesus and you get it. I mean, how many times at the football games do people hold up John 3.16? Everyone knows John 3.16. But they aren't getting that life because of the hardness of their heart. They look at it and say, no, thank you. I don't want to give my life to Christ. I want to keep living how I'm living and doing what I'm doing. It's better. I don't need that. I'm not really that bad. I'm not as evil as them. They are excluded, and it is self-destructive. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 12. Actually, let's go to verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So we get this very real, vivid picture, the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus has Jews and has Gentiles. And they were brought up differently. They ate different things. They celebrated different festivals. They, they talked differently. They had different uh, upbringings and all sorts of things. But now they are one in Christ. Why? The Gentile was excluded, but now Christ has shown in their heart and has saved them. They love Jesus. They love Jesus. And now they are one people. They were excluded, and now they are included. Well, what's the difference? They repented, and they believed in Jesus Christ. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the master. He is the ruler. He is the best friend you'll ever have. He is your comforter. He is your sustainer. He loves you. He wants a special relationship with you. And he died on the cross, appeasing the wrath of the Father, shedding his blood in order to bring you to himself. And the unbeliever says no thanks. Good old Christmas time. Imagine someone bringing you the best possible gift ever. Maybe it's like a signed portrait of Edwin or a PS5 or whatever it is you want, a new car. And they walk up to you, here's a free gift. Well, what do I got to do to earn it? I mean, it's, it's a free gift. Ah, no, no thanks. Salvation? Mm, no thanks. Eternal life? 
with God? No thanks. Being known by the Father? No thanks. Being redeemed by the Lamb? No thanks. Does that make any sense? Does that make any, like, look, if I said, look, I got one candy bar, and the first person up here gets it, y'all are going to beat and kill each other to get that candy bar, right? A few of you. Eternal life? No, no thanks. Because they are darkened in their understanding and they are self-destructive, they are ignorant. Go over to Colossians 1. Remember, some of this content is similar as Colossians, as in Ephesians. Colossians 1.21. Describing us before we came to know the Lord. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. It was no small deed to save you. You were ignorant, you were selfish, you were engaged in evil deeds, and it took the cross to rescue you. It took a perfect life from the Son of God to redeem you. So as a Christian, we go, okay, he spent so much to save me, I will spend my life to serve him. But for the unbeliever, they have taken that truth, and it is what? Harden their heart. One of the dangers of being at our church here is you've learned the same thing since you were two. On and on and on and on. And you can quote those verses uh, better than I could quote those verses. But for some of you, it has never penetrated your heart. You are hard of heart. Thirdly, we see that they are callous. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. My, my go-to illustration to, to illustrate that callous is those that play guitar Those strings are metal and they they cut and they bite at your fingertips. But you have to press them down hard against the wood in order to get the correct sound. So as you play, your fingertips build up calluses and you can't really feel as much. Or you think of some that, that do the sewing thing and poke themselves all the time. And they develop calluses so that they can perform and do the things that they want. Callus isn't good here. Their heart is encased. And callousness. And that leads them to then do what? They give themselves over for whatever sinful thing they want to do. And some of you go, wow. I mean, that sounds good. Drunkenness, sexual immorality. I can watch whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. I can be my own boss. I can be my own God. Well, unbeliever, it doesn't end well for you. And that sin will never satisfy. But do you see the progression? Their mind is continually being darkened. And because they are self-destructed, excluded, and refusing to be a part of God's family, they are then callous and giving themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. I mean, you think of, uh, of what's going on in our country. And you think of adults 
lusting and sleeping with little kids and gross things like that. How in the world could that ever happen? How could it ever be accepted, which is being accepted and promoted in certain circles? Because man is wicked, is wicked, is wicked. It's gross and disgusting, but Christian, that's not us anymore. We don't live like that anymore. Just to make it a little bit more lighthearted, you know this guy, right? Who's this guy? You don't even know. Clayton, right? All right. You, you think of his hatred and his pursuit of Tarzan. And you're thinking of them in that final scene. And he's up there in the, in the little vines and stuff like that. Sorry, I'm going to spoil it for those of you that, that haven't seen it yet. It's a good movie. Probably top three of all Disney movies. Okay. And Clayton is fighting after Tarzan. And Tarzan keeps throwing those vines on him. And there's a point where Clayton starts cutting the vines. And we all know what's going to happen. He's cutting all the vines except the one around his neck. And Clayton realizes it. He realizes it. But what does he keep doing? Keeps cutting. And he hangs himself. So he destroyed himself with his own sinful lust. Christian, that is the unbeliever. It's the unbeliever. So let's look at our implications here, right? For the believer. You don't live like this anymore. You don't think like this anymore. This isn't you. You have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You don't walk like this. You no longer have a futility of mind. You have value and preciousness. You don't allow this world to darken your understanding. You intake good. You come to church. You listen. You read your Bible. You keep clarity of mind. You seek wise counsel. You walk in the path of the righteous, not in the path of the sinner. You are no longer excluded. You are included. You are a family member of God. You are not callous to sin, but you are what? Sensitive to sin. Sensitive to sin. The, the things that the world can watch and intake, you can't even stomach anymore because you hate it so much. Is that you, believer? Is that you? The other thing, the other implication, all right, we can't live like this anymore. I love 1 Peter 4, 3. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. People think your age and the college age, go out and live your life and sin it up with all this fun stuff. And then you follow Jesus. Well, it doesn't work like that. You're not promised another day. It doesn't satisfy you. People make the most egregious, life-altering mistakes during this time frame of life that they can't go back and undo. But Christian, you already sinned all you ever needed to sin. Follow and glorify the Lord. We can't live like this anymore. But also, I want you to keep in mind, this is our mission field. This is our mission field. The people that we are commanded to share the gospel with. You have that family member who rolled into Thanksgiving and the way they do and how they do and all that stuff you just don't get and you don't understand and they're living for themselves and you're trying to help them. This is them. This is them. Isaiah 5.20, woe to those who call evil good. 
and good evil. Is that not our culture today? Is that not our culture? We have even in our, some schools, we have, you know, gay pride clubs and things like that. And it's like, what are we doing here? We champion sin. Who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And we say, well, look, if that's my mission field, I give up. Mine, I can't save them. No, no, you can't. That's why you pray to the Lord. Lord, please give me the words to say. Lord, please soften their heart. Lord, please use your, allow your Holy Spirit to soften their heart and call them and to draw them unto you. Because you know what? When someone shared the gospel with you, you didn't save you. God saved you. The Holy Spirit came in and did a work in your heart, but you had a faithful messenger who brought the truth to you. So you don't say, it's too tough, I can't do it. You say, God, it's too tough and I can't do it, so please work through me. Work in me and work through me. But when they reject that message, who are they really rejecting? They're rejecting God. I feel bad. I didn't say the words. I didn't know enough verses. and I didn't know what to do here. Or I didn't know where to do there. We can't solve it. Some churches present like sharing the gospel as some jigsaw puzzle. And if you put all the pieces together, then boom. It doesn't work that way. You need to rely on the Lord and understand that these are darkened, hateful, self-destructive people that you are talking with. Pray for them and ask the Holy Spirit to help and deliver. The sobering reality for a number of you sitting here today this is you. You walk in these doors just about every Sunday. You come just about every Wednesday. You tolerate the lesson for the most part. You, you doze off for parts of it. You're awake for some. You might flip the pages every once in a while. Mom or dad dragged you here for the most part. Or you're just here for the donuts. Or you're here for your friends or something like that. There's something you get out. Maybe it makes you feel better about yourself that you gave your nod to God and you showed up to church. But you're going to keep thinking the same way and you're going to keep being excluded from the love and the life that God has for you. And you're going to continue to, to harden and callous your heart and you're going to make stupid decisions and you're going to run after sinful things and it's not going to satisfy, it's not going to please and you're going to look back and you're going to be depressed and there's no joy and there's no peace and there's no hope. And you say, well, God, why are you so mean to me? Why did this happen to me, God? If you repent and believe, this is no longer you. I am no longer darkened in my understanding. Not because I'm smart, but because God is good. I am no longer excluded from the life of God because Jesus invited me and he rescued me and he brought me in. I am no longer callous towards sin. Yes, I still struggle with sin. Yes, I still battle with sin. I still give in to that temptation. But overall, there's patterns of victory in my life, and it is so, so sweet. Unbeliever, you can be forgiven of everything that you have ever done and everything that you'll ever do. All you need to do is kneel at the feet of the cross, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will rescue you. When you think through the Bible and all of the unbelievers that are listed in there, how does it end up 
with them? Did they win in the end? Did they rejoice over God? <laughs> I did it my way. I win. No, they are destroyed. They are thwarted. They are cast into the lake of fire. And that's you as well. Well, the last part of our lesson, we're going to look at Paul's instructions on how to live. And I didn't spend as much time on this because the concepts are, are very familiar to you. But we mostly need reminders and we need resolve to actually do it. To actually do it. First of all, we see that we are enlightened to the truth. They are darkened in their understanding. We, verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. We didn't learn to just get fire insurance. We didn't learn just to, to say a prayer. We didn't learn just to say, oh, I asked Jesus into my heart and everything's all good. We learned that it's repentance and faith and a life now dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ if indeed you have heard him. Do you get that? If you really are a Christian, you did not learn Christ in this way. And if you are a Christian, you have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. In chapters 1 through 3, we looked at in him our position in Christ, who we are. And our position then leads to practice. It leads to doing. Don't call yourself a Christian if you're not going to take up your cross and follow Christ. You are not. Remember 1 John 5.20. We know that the Son of God has come. And He's given us understanding. This is a reality. It's a truth. So that we may know Him who is true. And we who are in Him who is true. In His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Jesus says in John 8, he was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Christian, you are free from the darkness. You are free from sin. You are free from ignorance. You are free from hostility with God. The truth will make you free. We are not only enlightened to the truth, we are exercising the process. We are exercising the process, verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life. And I love that word exercising, especially because it starts with the letter E, so enlightened and exercising. But exercise isn't a one-time thing. Ah, I exercised this year. I'm good to go, right? And we have a really weird thought process about exercise in our society. We think that we simply exercise to get six-pack abs. And then when we realize that there are only like a very small percentage of people who can do that, we give up. Now, exercise is, is to make you healthy. It's to make you stronger. It's to enjoy. It's to move better, all right? It, it's so that you can breathe. All of those things are very healthy factors, right? Exercise is good for those things. But exercise is, well, frankly, it's hard work, is it not? It's hard work. If it was easy, everyone would do it. And if it was easy, it wouldn't really get us anywhere. 
So if I exercise, if I go to the gym and I'm doing bench press and I put two fives on each side and I, I rep that ten times, is that really going to get me anything? No, that's, that, that's baby weight, right? That's really little weight. That's not going to do anything. i got to put on more. But it's heavy. Yeah. Because i got to put on the heavy stuff so I can work out and I can exercise and I can get better with it. Christian, we want everything to be easy. We want a microwave society, which I'm not ragging on microwaves, all right? I have no skill at cooking, but I can microwave with the best of them, all right? We just boop, 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 and I want to be better, and I want to be perfect, and I, I want to have victory over the sin. But you're not willing to put in any of the work. Exercising our body does bring profit. There are good things to it. But even greater than that is exercising our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, exercising our life for Him. There is a process given to us here, and we just need to take advantage of this process. And this process is outlined by three different infinitives, all right? We had the participles before, and those were, were verbs that were describing something. They were um, like adjectives describing the Gentiles. Here we have these infinitives, and they help organize our thought process here. An infinitive is a verb that's not really acting like a verb. You lay aside the old self. You be renewed. You put on the new self. And this is that good old plural you. All of you. All right? Texas is more advanced than everywhere else. We have a plural you. It's y'all. Everyone else, it, we don't, is, it, is it singular? Is it plural? I don't know. We do. It's y'all. Y'all lay aside. Y'all be renewed. Y'all put on. And that's it. Is this rocket science? Did I just rock your world? Is this something that you had no idea was out there? You lay aside the old self. Looking at Colossians 3.8. But now you also put them all aside. Well, what do you mean by all aside? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Look at Ephesians 4. We're going to get to verse 25. Lay aside falsehood. Okay, verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer. Verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away from you. You cannot actively participate in the sin and have victory over it and glorify God. You can't keep lying and hope that things are going to work out the way you want them to. You have to first stop lying. Commit yourself. Catch yourself. Don't embellish. Don't bend the truth. Don't manipulate and deceive. Put that aside. And then the opposite reaction to that is to put on the new self. The things that you need, right? Lay aside the old self. Why? That you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And notice, okay, this word mind is the same as in verse 17. The Gentiles walk in the futility, in the newness of your mind. Well, how did I get that newness? 
Notice here, this is a passive infinitive. That means that it's happening to you. It's happening to you. Well, how do I get that? I read the word. I pray to God. I fellowship with believers. I go to church. I worship him. And my mind is refreshed and it is renewed and it is focused on the things above. It's a little bit different order. Remember Colossians 3, set your mind on things above, put off, put on. Well, here it's just a little jumbled up. The renewing of your mind is the, the process of putting your mind on things above. But that takes work, doesn't it? If I watch garbage, garbage in, garbage out. If I listen to gross stuff, I'll think about gross stuff. Oh, but if I listen to, to beautiful, truthful music, I'll meditate on it. And that's the idea of reading the Word and then what? Meditating. We think it's like, um, you're on a mountainside. You're letting it roll around in that big, beautiful brain of yours. And it's on your heart. And that's why we memorize and we call, to, to memor you know, we call the Word to our mind. Lay aside the old self, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self. But if you're not going to lay aside the sin, are you going to be renewed? No. Take the sin and drop it. Will that sin please you? No. Will that sin satisfy? No. Will that sin glorify God? No. Will that sin be consistent with the Savior who died for you? No. Lay it aside, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self. Don't lie, but tell the truth. Don't be lazy, but work hard. Don't lust after what is wrong. Lust after what is good. Don't be scared to follow Jesus. Be bold to follow Jesus. Notice the new self, it says, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. It's already been created like this. But we work hard. To continue to exercise these things to glorify God. Notice the new self is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. The old self that we're laying aside is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. That old self is being corrupted and eroded and deceived. The new self is in the likeness of God created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. A very helpful verse. It's Philippians 2.12. So then, my brethren. Let me flip over there. Let me go to verse 8. Talking about Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then... My beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Whoa, 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 whoa. I am saved by faith. Yes. But now that you are saved, you exercise that salvation. You work out that salvation. You wake up earlier. You turn the TV off. 
You, you don't run off and do all of these things. You turn the phone off. You silence it. You dedicate your mind to the study of God's Word. You prioritize your schedule so that you show up to church. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We need to exercise maximum human effort and God will use that to produce the product that we want Christ likeness work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure let's pray most gracious heavenly father these are such beautiful truths contained in your word. And we know that Paul wrote it for the church at Ephesus, but he also wrote it for us today. And you affirmed with him the validity of the content. And Lord, for the believer, we can't live like the Gentiles anymore. We need to live for your glory, for your kingdom, to further your gospel, to represent you. To enjoy you. We need to live as ones that have been enlightened to the truth. Exercising the process of biblical change that you have given us. So that we may have victory over our sin. And that you will be glorified. Thank you for your patience, your grace, and your mercy. It's in your son's name we pray.